one. a high price to pay some put on a suit but he ran the other way his drums drown welcome back to real voices of the game i'm dave d'agostino and i'm here today we do having a special spotlight show today he's our first three-peat guest so it's our michael jordan of our real voices of the game network Two great episodes previously, if you want to catch the first two. He was on a uh, Man on Second podcast with Joe Frazero. was also on a Day at the Yard Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. That's Mark Wiley and Will George. And he will be on with Coach and Kernan uh, after this. But this is our special spotlight show. And as Bob and I talked before, he said, I got a lot more to say. So I've got our audience wants to hear a lot more from me. You made great uh, inroads with our what I think is a very intellectual audience and I'll keep the preamble short because I want to get right to the meat and potatoes. But for those that, that uh, can go back and listen to Bob's bio, 41 years in baseball. I mean, uh, as, from, a, from an advanced scout standpoint, has been involved with every aspect of growth of winning at the highest level of baseball in our world. And his insight is invaluable to us. So with that, I bring back Bob Johnson to episode 196 of Real Voices to the Game. Bob, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Dave. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Well, we we uh, we went back and forth. We got some some stories we do want to tell about the Dominican. I, I'm I'm going to let our audience hear a little <laughs> some of the the funny stuff that went on with you and some of our co-hosts. But uh, you and I text back and forth about you know more of this injury stuff that's going on. I'm just going to throw the name at you and you know let let you riff on it. But uh, Harrison Bader, what what you know we share a little bit about how he went down again and what your thoughts are on why these injuries are so. Harrison prevalent. is a victim of today's baseball, basically. He's a good athlete. There's no question he's a good athlete. But baseball is a muscle memory game. And if you don't work on things that you actually do in the game, you're going to get injuries. It's it's pretty simple. I'm, I'm just looking back, just, just so fans understand, I'm from a generation where pregame, you'd get there two and a half, the fans could get there two and a half hours and actually see batting practice on the field. The batting practice on the field with the home team wasn't just batting practice. There was a lot of activity going on at the same time. All the infielders were in positions taking ground balls from coaches or pitchers, hitting ground balls to all the individual positions, and the infielders would work on obviously throwing to first, but they'd work on double plays. They'd work on charging bunts. They'd work on going into the hole. They would do a whole myriad of baseball activities during BP, it's and you got a skill where you know when the when the batting practice pitcher was thrown to the plate, so you'd work around that, and the outfielders would be doing the same thing. They would have other pitchers. That was a skill that pitchers had to have. They had to be able to hit fungos, the infielders and outfielders back in the day. Uh, but anyway, the outfielders would take the ball off the bat in the outfield, running routes getting some balls in the gaps and so on and so forth. This was all done every day in batting practice. They don't do that anymore because they don't take BP anymore. If they do, they take it in the cage, which is basically worthless in terms of translating to major league activity. But uh, what they do is they say, well, all these idiots are trying to throw as hard as they can. So they dial the number up on the machine to catch up the big fastballs, big VLO fastballs. 
which is also, if you've had Will on, I'm sure that Will has told many stories and Mark too about how pitching mechanics has gone to hell in a handbasket because the only instruction that takes place anymore is how to throw hard and harder, which means nothing if you don't yeah. command it. Well, but, you know, uh, we, uh, yeah, Will and Mark have, have, they do their show weekly. Jim Cott as well. Jim always talks about beginning with the end. He was obviously, you know, a gold glove, uh, oh, one yeah. kind of gold gloves there. But he talks about that being a big concern of his, uh, in addition to the arm injuries, that pitchers are not even in a position to field because they're so enthralled with velocity that they can tort their bodies to a spot where they, they can't possibly be not just functional on the mound, but even protect themselves. Right. That's a big point. And how many balls go up the middle, especially now with the, uh, with the Manfred shift going away? Uh, a lot of players are trying to make the conversion to hit the ball the other way by going up the middle. And guess what? If you hit the ball up the middle, the pitcher should get a lot of those. Or he's going to yeah. get hit. Simple. So you have to be in a position. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy is absolutely right. Kenny is absolutely right in terms of being able to field your position. It's, now, a, lot, uh, a lot of our oh, – uh, the other point I wanted to raise is the outfielders taking balls off the bat from Fungo's pregame. It's so important. You have to be able to judge the ball coming. And the good Fungo hitter, good pitcher Fungo hitter, could make him run back at an angle, back left, back right, directly over your head, drop it in front of you. They could do a lot of things to work an outfielder out pregame. And they would do it every day, and you'd have the muscle memory. Now, that's even before you go to take infield outfield, which nobody takes anymore, which is where you develop arm accuracy. Outfielders can't throw anymore. And, and even if they have arm strength, they have no concept of accuracy. They just fling it towards the plate. Now, there were guys in the past who were very similar to that. Uh, one of the best arms I ever saw was Vladimir Guerrero Sr. But with Vladimir Guerrero Sr., no matter where the ball is in the outfield, if you were on third base, you went because the ball may end up in the catcher's glove, but it also may end up in the coaching box. He, he never knew where it was going. But most outfielders, good outfielders, not only had arm strength, but they had arm accuracy. Roger Maris in New York uh, was always known for the home runs title and all that good stuff. But Roger Maris was a gold glove outfielder. And one of the reasons he was a gold glove outfielder was because he had a very accurate arm. If it was a fly ball to Maris at medium depth, you were out if you wanted to go to the plate because he was going to one-hop it to the catcher and the runner was going to be out. Where do you see that anymore? It's very, very rare. I was lucky, uh, 1976, I think it was, the All-Star game was in Yankee Stadium, and I had a chance to see an outfield pregame with – Ellis Valentine, Dave Winfield, Reggie Smith. It was awesome to watch. They, they tried to do, outdo each other in terms of throwing accuracy. Parker ended up winning it that, that day. And, but those were uh, half a dozen of the greatest outfield arms that ever played the game, actually. I mean, and, and I was four, I'm, I'm old, so I remember seeing Roberto Clemente throw. Uh, but those guys were really good and really accurate for the most part. I mean, everybody, lot, so remembers, everybody remembers the Parker play at the plate where he threw the ball in from the next county to throw a guy out at the plate. But uh, sure, it's stuff you work on pregame. 
And they don't do that anymore because they don't take BP on the field and because they don't take infield, outfield. Accuracy, it's like pitching accuracy. The best pitch in baseball is a located fastball. How do you develop that? You repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. You should be repeating it in the minor leagues on the way up, but obviously that's by the boards. But guys like Jamie Moyer, guys like Greg Maddox, they threw the ball where they wanted every time. Catfish Hunter was a master at that. It was called yeah, ad- man gets overlooked. So when you when we're when we're going around uh, looking at a traditional batting practice, a lot of our young audience has not experienced that because they're in this travel ball world where games are stacked upon games by the hour. Um, and then now when we if you go to a major league park, as you're saying, or minor league park, they're not taking BP. Um, you know, a guy like Harrison Bader got hurt running the bases. Um, you know, t- talk about some of the base running that takes place during batting practice. I know it's. It's not a ton, but you're working on your leads, correct? Your secondaries, no, your primaries. It's, um, it's, after you hit your round, the last swing in your round, after your bunt grouping, normally, normally you do your, your rounds of X amount of swings, and then you work on bunting. Oh, my goodness, what's that? Then you'd bunt up the third baseline, up the first baseline, so on and so forth, work on drags and sacrifices and, and things like that. But your last swing, you would run. And you would run to first base as if you're beating out a ground ball of the infield. Then you'd hang at first base and you would work on taking leads at first. And you would take secondaries uh, off first base. Then you'd go up to second base, do the same thing. Go to third base. You'd work on tagging up on a ball to the outfield. Those are all baseball activities that no one works on anymore because it's, it's criminal, really, for the game. Because these are skills which are teachable skills if you're willing to put the time in to actually work on it. Pete Rose was a great, great base runner. He was not a fast guy, but he was a great base runner. In our generation, the best base runner I ever saw was Larry Walker, who had good speed, not great speed. He had what made him great? But he just ran the bases exquisitely. What made what when you say Pete Rose, great base runner, Larry Walker, what what makes them a ba- great base runner? Instincts. What are the things you say? Instincts and work. They work at things. Pete Rose would go out on and he would take his BP very seriously for obvious reasons. When you get four thousand hits, you know you've taken a lot of BP. But he would work on the, the base running part in BP a lot. He'd go out to second base, take a lead, score on the shallow hit. He'd work on that pre-game, and that translates. It's like I say, baseball's a repetitive game. That translates to games. So he's getting reads off the bat. He's that's the skill. That's the characteristic that you saw in, in those two guys, where they were taking real-time reads off those bats. What about on the flip side, defensively? We talked about fungos. How important is it for the defense to experience batting practice? Those live reads off the angles of the bat. Same thing. The same thing. Yeah. Yeah. What you take in, you take infield. Nowadays, you go out there and you just stand someplace and talk to your fellow player. Back then, guys would go to position. They would take it, take and, and look for balls. They would either take it off the bat to go into the, a shortstop, for example, to go into the hole or go behind the bag, or you'd have a fungo hitter who would do it for him in between. Again, it's a repetitive activity, but it's how you learn. Baseball is a muscle memory game. Yeah. You, you talked fungal hitting a couple of times. I used to hate this as a second baseman. 
I didn't like the fungal hitters that hit the bottom half of the ball and gave me those charity hops. I wanted those rollover guys. I want because that's that's what you're going to get when the infield. Um, to talk about the nuances of fungal hitting. You know, you mentioned earlier about moving guys around. What what would you ask of your fungal hitters in that regard? It would depend on the position. If it was a third baseman, I want my fungal hitter to hit a lot of hard balls down the third base line. Then I want them to hit hard balls in the five and a half hole between shortstop and third. Then I'd want the fungal hitter to drop some 60-footers, rolling butts. The one that, like a Mike Schmidt, who was one of the best I ever saw at fielding swinging rollers. Those types of things. Again, it's repetitive, and it makes you work. And as a second baseman, you had to take all those double play throws. I mean, that was a gazillion of them. Hopefully you had a little bit of help over there. But uh, although most of the time, see, if they sent a pitcher over to help you, that didn't do very much on the double play turn. But, uh, uh, but again, it's a repetitive game. You want it, That's why BP on the field, when we lost BP on the field, we lost a critical part of, of the learning process in the game. Big league hitters learn, or big league fielders learn all the time themselves. I tell the story of Greg Nettles. When I first saw Greg Nettles, when he first came up, he was not a good fielder. But Greg Nettles had a great work ethic. And he would take a lot of, of fungos pregame. And he turned into a gold glove third baseman because he was willing to work at it. And he gets a lot of respect from who's considered the, the maybe the greatest defensive third baseman, Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson tips his cap to Greg Nettles all the time about uh, the work he put in and how good a glove he was. What, now, you mentioned throwing, and then, then we'll move on. But I want to talk about throwing, too, because you talked about the outfield accuracy, but also catchers. H- how often should catchers, outfielders be throwing, um, let's say, in a, over the course of a week? Every day. Every day? Every day. Every day you work on it. Catchers, again, going back to the old tryout camp days, you work a catcher out, you want to see his arm strength, and then you'd want to see him throw to second. You want to see him throw to third. You want to see him uh, on a the coach would throw a little roller out in front of the plate, about 10 feet out, 15 feet out. You want to see the catcher come out of his squat and throw to first base accurately, throw to second base accurately. Accuracy in throwing in the game has disappeared in the outfield. It's disappeared in the infield. I would think if you let the let the stack geeks put all that together, but I bet that most of the errors in the game right now on the infield and behind the plate are throwing errors. errors. I think, and they're mostly accuracy errors. Yeah. Uh, where I live right now, Alec Bohm was the third baseman for the Phillies. Two-thirds of his errors are throwing errors. Part of it because he's not in position to throw. And the other part of it is that he just doesn't take enough balls in pregame off the bat, on the field. Taking, taking ground balls is easy to do. You need two players to do it. Now, if you're lucky enough to get a spare pitcher floating around to stand over at third base to take throws, great. But throwing is accuracy-wise is the most important thing of any defensive position, be it a left fielder who is normally your your lesser outfielder defender, or if it's a third baseman or a shortstop or a second base, obviously the middle infield guys have to be your best fielders because they have the most arduous job of the bunch because they have so many things that they have to be able to 
do and be able to master to be capable of that position. And this is uh, nowadays, it's a little easier because you don't have a base runner bearing down on you trying to knock your jock off. Right. Back, yeah. in the, back in the day, it was a little bit different. I did a clinic the other day where I was showing kids how to turn double plays from second base and talked about how, you know, everything's backwards as a second baseman, as opposed to shortstop where the whole field's in front of you and the importance of self-preservation, which is, you know, you have to be great with your feet, first get the out, then create space and then, you know, save yourself, which means you've got to clear space and get up. And when I did, right. when I got up, a couple of kids asked me like, well, what are you doing that for? And, uh, I had to explain why I, I forgot that that's not a part of the game anymore today where guys can't come in hard, um, where you have to get up. You can just hang in there and just rock and fire, which, uh, which to me, that was, that was part of the badge of courage of playing second base was that's being exactly able to right. ball and get out of the way without, even if you got toppled, that's whatever, that's part of it. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot different than it used to be. Obviously there were some, uh, some base runners and I'm really going to show my age, uh, Eddie Matthews of the Milwaukee Braves or Atlanta Braves was one of the hardest base runners going into second base of anybody in the game. Hal McRae would tear your lungs out at second base going in. If you if you hung around, if your legs weren't moving when that double play was being made, you were going to definitely get spiked in the leg. Absolute for sure, or higher, for sure. That's why you also want one of the things that you don't see anymore is you don't see middle infielders uh, force the base runner to get down, which used to be part of the game. There's nothing like a, fa- a, a shortstop throwing a fastball into the base runner's face right. to get the me- to get the message across. Get down. That's your taught throw right at the middle of the forehead and cut loose, and they'll That's get right. down. they'll get out of the way without a doubt. I've got I've got one more f- uh, fielding question. I, I lied. I said that was going to be it. We'll move on, but. I, I see this, and, and I'm not looking to disparage anybody online, but Ron Washington's become real popular as an infield instructor. And he's the best. I see the work he does with Ozzie Albies, uh, and, he, and he has a lot of the Braves on there. I think he worked with Marcus Simeon, too, and helped him out. Um, and the stuff he's doing is really important, but I see a lot of young kids duplicating it, not realizing that there's a lot of steps to get to that point where he works a lot on that short hop. Where he's got right. the guys on his knees, and he's shortening the distance between the glove, the ball coming off the turf or the grass, and the glove. And right. me as an infielder, that's to me, that's the, that's maybe 5% or 10% of when you feel that's the, you know, when your feet get you in a bad spot. Um, but sh- share your thoughts on that. Cause I like him too. I love what he does, but I think a lot of our world gets caught up in YouTube baseball and uh, they don't realize that there's a lot of steps before that, that, uh, that run developed in those guys before. So um, well, that, that's a stick with wash. He, if you watch wash in spring training, he does a ton of work and exactly the types of things that you're talking about. Body balance to feel the ground ball, having your feet in the correct position to feel the ground ball. Don't do this backhand stuff. Don't try to catch it with your glove, spearing it like you're spearing a fish in the water. I mean, it, it, it kills me when, when infielders just try to reach, especially third basemen. Third basemen try to reach all the time. Just get in front of it. Ball's going to hit you every once in a while. So what? If it hits you, it's not in the outfield. You bounce up and you get it and try to throw the guy out. Another badge of courage that's, that I take as an infielder. It's, it's okay to, you know, drop the glove, stick the chest out, just keep it in front of you and make a play. But um, we, you and I talked a lot about scouting um, 
off the air and you had mentioned a, a key point that I think gets lost on our world because I, I grew up in the Northeast, but I now live in the South and just weather alone, the games played a little less and maybe a little differently uh, in both locations. But talk about the discrimination um, on players, maybe scouting well, players down, from the, the Northeast problem in the that, Northeast. that goes on out there. Yeah. The problem with with Northeastern players is that you don't have enough quality time on a quality field. I mean, you, you're in the Northeast. You, you get ready for the season, mostly in the gym early. And you don't actually get on a field where you can work on a lot of the things that we just talked about a few minutes ago. You just don't have time to do it. Uh, down south, of course, you do. I mean, I, I was always amazed as a uh, – as a young scout, to see the professions, the proficiency of, to use a generality, the Florida infielders. But it makes sense because you have 365 on the field. You can you can practice your fielding if you actually work at it. You can do it every day. And fielding is as much practice as any aspect of the game. You have to work at it. There are so many plays that you see on TV now where fielding costs teams games. Fielding and base running are lost arts. Bunting, of course, is a lost art. But fielding and base running are awful now because nobody works on them. Yeah, I agree. We have a team here that we put together, and and, uh, the parents love it because they're old school like I am. First 20 minutes of practice is base running. And while one group's base running, the other team or or the other group's working on fielding, and then we flip-flop and – I'm say 20, we got the, you know, the 27 outs. I don't want to give extra outs and I do not want to make outs on the bases. It's, it's Mike, Socia. Let me go. Mike Socia with Anaheim would oftentimes take a full day in spring training and that's all he would work on is base running. Nobody, the fielders, the players didn't like it, but Socia ran camp like he wanted to run the camp. And if he didn't like it, well, there are other teams out there you can go to. That's right. He, he, well, his name's going to be in the paper when a loss happens, the, the, the skip. So he's got prerogative. Um, what, what else is out there? I don't want to, I don't want to leave anything awry before we get into some stories, but uh, what, as far as the Northeast, like how would you compensate, I guess, being a Northeastern player, if at all? And then when you were scouting it, how would you, you know, how would that adjust your eye for talent? Would you, you know, would you look for certain things? Would you project a little bit more? I would project a ton more. I would, pro- especially on pitching because Throwing a baseball is a muscle memory, repetitive job. If a guy's throwing 85 in the Northeast and in terrible conditions, you know that if he was raised in a Southern state, you could add another three or four miles an hour. There are a lot of pitchers who have signed out of the Northeast who only threw, and I say only, or 88 to 91 guys, and all of a sudden it jumped up to 93, 95 relatively quickly. And that's basically because they had opportunities to throw. The problem nowadays, of course, is with all this travel uh, stuff and all these perfect game type crap, you don't pitch. You pitch two innings a week. And what good is that? I know you talked about with, with other guys on your network here about the, the lack of innings for pitchers in yeah. professional baseball. The same thing is true in amateur ball. Let them work. Let players work. Let them work yeah. their way through, let them work their way through ab, uh, adversarial situations. 
if you we there is a uh, I know some pitchers that came through certain organizations with certain pitching coaches that were protected. They'd go five innings. They'd get in a little trouble in the sixth. I guess that well that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty novel nowadays where a starting pitcher was supposed to go seven or eight. But uh, a guy would get into the sixth, have a little bit of trouble. Whoop, he's out. He's gone. He never learned to pitch through adversity, ever. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because you know, have to, because you have to fail, basically. Yeah. You have to know that it, it, you're not going to win every game. You have to know that every pitch is not going to be put in play to an infielder or an outfielder. You have to know the balls are going to get through. And you know that a couple of your bad pitches, and you know what the pitchers know what they are when they hang a breaking ball, especially. And uh, I can spend a whole hour talking about the slider, the worst pitch in baseball. But uh, uh, but Go on you, have to learn, you have to learn that the other guy's pretty good too. The other guy's got a bat in his hands too. And so you have to learn those types of skills at every level. But in the Northeast, it was particularly tough because, uh, especially with uh, lacrosse nowadays, lacrosse is, has hurt baseball badly in, in the springtime in the Northeast because it's you get a chance to run around and hit people with sticks. I mean, it's, it's a lot more fun to a lot of people than baseball, which you really have to work at to play. Michael Jordan said it best. Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player ever. He, I saw him play in Double A. He couldn't hit me. He was a great athlete. We all know that, but he wasn't ever going to be able to hit in the big leagues. That's why I have so much respect for Bo Jackson because he was he was probably the greatest athlete, pure athlete, next to Will Chamberlain that I've ever seen. Yeah, Bo's one of my favorites as well. With um, you know the pitching through adversity, we we see a lot of. And it, it starts with the old travel ball stuff goes through high school, even college now where they're more concerned about player performance and player development. They want to be the greatest 13 year old team of all time. A college coach wants to, you know, keep his job and, uh, you know, live the house they live in, drive the car. They're, they're, they get more caught up in, as you said, a little bit of adversity, get them out as opposed to, hey, we've got to develop this kid. That's why he's here. Um, it, you're seeing you saw that and you continue to see that at the major league level, I would imagine. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a it's a performance rated game. You have to be able to produce on the field at whatever level you're talking about. But you have to realize that depending on where you are at what level, if you're in college or you're in high school or you're on on the summer team, the object of the of your instruction is to help the player get better. And the way to do that is put them in situations where. They're going to face adversity, and the good ones will come through it, and the, uh, some others won't. Your area, up around the Albany area where you're from, the Atlanta Braves have mined that beautifully. The Atlanta Braves went oh, up there. Yeah. They worked cold-weather uh, teams and drafted extremely well off those cold-weather teams. They have also have seen people that didn't get a lot of exposure in their colleges. Even at the high-profile colleges, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now is a right-hander named Spencer Strider with Atlanta Braves. He was a fourth-round draft. He wasn't a first-round draft. He was a fourth-round draft. But Atlanta saw something in him with his work ethic and his attention to detail and 
those are the type of guys that get better at what they do. It's not just increased velocity, it's pitching ability. Ian Anderson was another one up from that area. From the, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they, they do a great job. They've got some good people up there that they still believe in bird dogging up there. Absolutely. Um, for those see people, which is lost as well. So, uh, what what else are you seeing out there before we move on? Anything else that's – that's uh, well, talk about the slider. What, what bothers you about the slider? First of all, it's way too easy to teach, which makes it a crutch for lazy pitching coaches because it's a very difficult pitch to throw well and to command. All right, so I'm sorry, the curveball is, is hard to throw well and command, so they go to the slider – and there, there, I guarantee you there are more hanging sliders hit for home runs in baseball at every level than any other pitch. Baltimore, oh, Baltimore and the Dodgers had it right way, way back. You needed a fastball. You need two fastballs, really, a four-seam fastball and a two-seam fastball, one that rides, one that sinks. You needed a curveball, a true classic curveball, either 12-6 or 11-5. And before you moved up in their systems, you had to command them both. Then you also mixed in a changeup, a good quality changeup, as an off-speed pitch to get hitters off fastballs. That's all you need. You don't need cutters. You don't need sliders, which are basically the same pitch. And now we've invented a new term uh, in Manfred Ball, the sweeper. Sweeper, sweeper yeah. to me, is a, is a bad slider. It just happens to it just happens to go east west. That's not a good pitch, but the way hitters hit nowadays, when they try to lift and separate on everything, it becomes a better pitch than it actually is. Yeah, I agree. Now I know we're we're not a visual show or an audio show, but as far as the finger placement on the ball with, with a slider, uh, I guess what's the difference, the nuance between the way the slider's held and the curveball's held and and possibly released? What can what can um, you share? And it's hard because we're an audio show, but it's, it's hard for an audio show. Yeah, it's basically <coughs> hand position and wrist, uh, and having a supple wrist really counts. Having a big hand also really counts in uh, in throwing breaking balls. If the bigger hand you have, the better off you're going to be throwing breaking stuff because you're going to be able to hold on to it that much longer before snapping it off. A slider is basically a fastball, and you just go off center. You move your fingers over where you throw a, let's say you're throwing a two seam fastball where your index and middle finger are on the seams themselves. Sliders, you're moving your hand, you're just moving your hand over a little bit. It's cut, you're coming out of the side. It's kind of, I think the wiffle ball, when we all played wiffle ball, we were kids, you could learn a lot of things with playing wiffle ball as to where, where you wanted the ball to go and how to throw it. But uh, I don't know if they play wiffle ball anymore, but uh to me, it was great. It was wonderful, especially and if you could do, you could carve it up a little bit and really make it dip all over. Oh yeah. But uh, but basically, uh, sliders and cutters. And cutters is just basically the same thing. It's just finger pressure on your fastball. Those two pitches are pitchers, so you don't get released. If your if your fastball is straight, and that's the a straight fastball is the worst kind of fastball to throw because it's a souvenir a lot of times. But if you can't if you can't make your fastball move, the cutter seems to be a replacement for a lot of guys. And because hitters don't work on hitting 
as much as they should. They just swing away, try to launch everything in BP. Uh, hitting off-speed pitches is a lost art. You look at the averages. They always say, well, this guy's hitting 350 against fastballs and 180 against curveballs. Well, duh. It's a harder pitch to hit, first of all, and they don't work on it. And you can you could take a, a a jugs machine or a pitching machine and dial up curveballs all you want in a cage. It's not going to be the same. You want to see it out of the hand. You ask hitters, where do they pick the ball up? They pick the ball up out of the hand. Where do you pick the ball up off a machine? In the tube? Remember the, the yeah. old arm, the old iron mics. Iron mics, yep, I remember those. Iron mics had an actual throwing arm which threw the ball. If you went to your amusement parks, most of them were iron mics, and you put your quarter in to get your, your 10 swings or 10 swings at iron mic, and maybe half of them were somewhere near the strike zone. So you just learned that way, but you had to you find a spot to see. You don't pick a ball up by magic. You pick it up out of the hand. And what happens here is that what pitchers are doing now with sliders and cutters is just trying to alter it just a little bit because the difference between a good cutter and a good fastball is a few inches just to get it off the barrel of the bat. Of course, Mariano had the best one ever, best cutter ever. Uh, and his, it, it was funny. I, I sat with Mariano when, when he was in double A at Albany quite a bit because he was a starting pitcher back then. And he, we'd sit there and we'd talk about pitching it all. And he'd show me what he does. And, and uh, that's actually when he started fooling around with, with the uh, cutter. I was in there. To, I was with Montreal at the time. And we were trying to make a trade with Dennis Martinez. And we were trying to get Mariano. The Yankees were smart enough. Or actually, Gene Michael was smart enough not to make that deal. But uh, George wanted to make it. But... Uh, yeah, they had they had two they had Posada and Mariano down at Albany. Yeah, well, you're you're talking about a stadium that I grew up watching games in, and we've got a big contingency that listens to the show. That was the old Albany Colony Yankees. They were the That's Albany true. Colony A's, I think, for a little bit before that. But uh, well, sh- share a little bit about the it's what's called Heritage Park, if I remember right. Um, sh- share a little bit about those Yankee teams because Buck Showalter did he not cut his teeth there as a manager? Yes, yes. Yeah. Most of the Yankee cool. managers. Most of the Yankee managers, the top guys, managers and coaches, came up through the ranks, and Albany was a key stop for them. If you could play, the old standard line is, if you could have success in AA, you have a good chance of playing in the big leagues at some point. AAA, especially nowadays, AAA is kind of a replacement league. It's guys that have gotten up to the big leagues, and they, they couldn't cut it up there, so they're down in AAA, and the pay is pretty good in AAA now, so they hang around more. And uh, but the prospects are normally at your double A level. The Yankee shortstop now Volpe was a guy that came out uh, came out of double A to go to the big leagues. Uh, the good players come up from double A. Uh, but Heritage Park was uh, it was we we always enjoyed going to Albany. We would stay over on Turf Road, which was close to the ballpark. Sure. And there were some places to go after the game on Turf Road, which, which we often got to. And uh, it was a very fair park. If you hit the ball well, 
it was going to be a home run. If you didn't hit the ball well, the ball that gets out of half the big league parks, it wouldn't get out of that place. That was fair. Yeah. That was a yeah. fair part. When I uh, when I got moved to the independent leagues, I think they were the Albany County Diamond Dogs at that time, and uh, got a chance to play back home uh, for a couple different independent league teams as I was making my way through um, affiliate and then independent ball. But uh, yeah, wonderful park it was great. Great to play home there, and I, I was sad to see them go because uh, great fan base. Uh, oh, terrific fan base! They showed up. My, Ron Gid- oh yeah, Ron Gidry made a rehab start there, and it was standing room only. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> he got brought back down there. It was uh, it was it was great to see. Well, uh, I guess this is I don't know how natural a segue this is, but from Albany to the Dominican now. Uh, I know you and I talked. We wanted to share some Dominican Republic stories with you and. Our very own Will George. Are you comfortable going into that? That oh, absolutely. If I throw out a, all right, I'll throw out the Dominican driving license. Oh, you could buy one in the store. Like you can go to Target and get a Dominican driver's license, whatever age you want to be. And uh, they just say you were 6'3", 220. Uh, nobody ever checked that stuff. But, uh, yeah, every year I went down there. I was down in Dominican, I guess, 10 different times. And uh, – I could have gotten, I could have been a 17 year old Dominican every time I went down there. Just go into the store, you give them your information, you pay them the money, and they give you a license. And the nice thing, about, like drive, nice thing about driving in Dominican is they have no rules. One of the, one of the great mysteries of life to me is that they have no drunk driving laws in the Dominican, yet very few drunks have accidents down there. They have a natural instinct to miss whatever they're about to hit. I don't know how they do it. But it's, we had, uh, there was one cab, funny story here, one cab driver that we would say at Quisqueya, which is the main ballpark in, in Dominican, both Lise and Escajito play there. This little guy was a cab driver. He would come in uh, at uh, normally right around game time with a, a fifth of liquor and sit there and drain it in the first five innings. At the end of the fifth inning, he would stand up and go ah, and leave the ballpark to go back to work. It was amazing. If you can imagine drinking a fifth of scotch, it, it wasn't scotch that he was drinking, of course, but uh, if you can imagine drinking a fifth of hard liquor and then being able to function driving a taxi cab, it's that it was beyond me. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Uh, driving. Now you were down there ten times. What was your function? Now were you were you uh, managing? I was, there, I was there scouting the league for trades. I would go down. Uh, I would I'd see players. A lot of times I focused on the guys that were had been coming back from Japan and Korea, who were just trying to get back into baseball at the AAA level. And uh, I would focus on those guys. The Dominican clubs would pick up those guys, mostly pitchers, and that they would come on, they'd they'd bring them in, and if they were still solid and they could help your club, they would sign them to a AAA contract and they'd get to the big leagues. Uh, My claim to fame was a guy named Kevin Jarvis who played with San Diego and Oakland, uh, who I saw in the Dominican. He He was playing in Japan. He came back to the States. He ended up with a few years in the big leagues. Not a, you don't get star pitchers uh, from 
outside of the, the normal path. But you got some good fill-in, fourth, fifth starters, bullpen guys. A lot of those guys you'd see there. And the other thing that was great about watching pitchers in the Dominican is you got a lead on some of the really top-shelf pitchers when they were very, very young. You'd get a 16- or 17-year-old kid that was throwing 82 or 85 or 86, and all of a sudden you come back in a couple of years and see the kid playing, and he's throwing 92, 93, 96. Uh, and it seemed down there that most everybody in the Dominican threw hard. The guys that obviously made it in the big leagues were the guys that could command it, which is always the case with pitching. If you can't command what you have, you're not going to have success at the major league level. You have to be able to spot it. And it comes back to the philosophy, the old Dodger Baltimore philosophy of being able to command your fastball and being able to command something else. The Dominican pitchers had a tough time commanding something else, a breaking ball of some sort. They A lot of balls went over the fence in Dominican with on hanging curveballs and hanging sliders. So they would come out and they'd work on splits and change-ups and things like that. And it would work. And they would just keep on working at it. And one thing about winter leagues in general, you get your work in. You're going to get your work in. Because you, when you are a manager in the Dominican, you, you're on a day-to-day contract. I remember when, when talk about Ronnie Washington, uh, he was hired back in the day to, to manage down in Dominican and I saw his club play the first day. It says, Wash, you're going to be fired by by Thanksgiving. Looking at your club, you have no chance. And he obviously argued with me and said, we're going to do this. We're going to change this. No, you're not. Uh, and I missed by a day. I missed by a day. They gave him a oh, he, What's he the difference gave- in terms of development down there? How, do they develop their players a little differently than we do here? Are there nuances that you've picked no, up? No, that- Really, what they do is they play all the time. You do not drive past a Dominican field without seeing kids on it playing two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, and they are working on exactly the skills that I was talking about before. They threw all the time. They fielded the ball all the time. There's a common joke that uh, amongst us in in the game that you could get – the top shortstops in the Dominican on the, on the Dominican Winter League teams, you get those six guys and you could play. That's not eight now, I guess. But uh, you could t- get those guys and they're going to be your short, starting shortstops in the big leagues because they're going to be better than the guys that are there. They work on it all the time. They all threw. They all ran. They all – they would swing out of their butt, but – some of them learned how to make contact and some of them didn't. Uh, but they all had baseball skills. They could all run. They could all throw. And they did it because they did it all the time. Dominican kids. We make a point. Yeah, and you're, you're, you, I think you're bringing up a point. You're, you're getting to something that we talk about on the show all the time. Our American kids are so over-instructed that they've lost the creativity and the genius and, and the, the intuition that comes along with really teaching yourself how to play, teaching yourself how to fail, learning from other players uh, where we have adults constantly over the top of these kids joysticking them. It doesn't sound like that's the case in the Dominican. These kids are, as you Not said, they're all. out there playing two three and three. Not at all. Is it that was, uh, what you think? 
it was a situation where kids were allowed to be kids, first of all. You didn't have to have a uniform. You know who was on whose team. You didn't have to have a schedule. You didn't have to have some adult, like you say, criticizing them, telling them what to do, and they couldn't do it themselves. Those types of things, that's what's lost. I mean, adults screw everything up in, in America in terms of sports. It's they, they have to coach. They all, they all know what they're doing. They all watch TV, and so I can do that. Uh, give a kid, give a couple kids bats and a ball, point them to a field, let them play, let them choose up teams. It's, it's not that hard, but nobody does it anymore. You have to have a uniform. You have to have a schedule. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yep. That's uh that's that part of allowing kids to develop on their own. It's, uh, it's lost. And I agree with you a hundred percent where I've, I've closing up on 45 minutes. I wanted to, if you're okay talking about, I think did you, you, you guys mentioned in the Dominican kind of, we're kind of going back and forth here, like verbal parkour. Um, you mentioned, a, I thought it was an audio mix called Dominican Death Drive 2000. Why, why yeah. do I have that? Paper? What is that? Dominican Death Drive 2000 was created by Ray Crone, Will George, where Will was driving our car. We only had one car down there and Will loved to drive in the Dominican. I don't know why. I guess he's learned how to drive with no rules, no stop signs, no lights or anything. But, uh, and Ray and I, mostly Ray, did the, just filled the tape with everything that you could see. A seven-lane highway that actually was two lanes. He used to drive up on the lawns, not, not a problem. All the motorbikes. You'd go to some, some cities in the Dominican, and all you would see are motorbikes just riding around. It's like kind of like American graffiti. It's a... Uh, just go up and down the streets, just cruising. Uh, we saw accidents. We saw were just sideswipe accidents, or because the other thing is that if you, one thing if I found that if you're in Dominican and you hit somebody on a motorbike, you never hurt them. They bounce. They would somehow get off their bike, brush themselves off, and get up. Our our. The best prospect that we had in the Pittsburgh organization when I was over there was a kid named Alberto Luis, a Dominican kid who had, he threw like Clemente. He was Clemente. He got hit by a train. Well, that, the train was not a motorbike. So uh, it, it killed him. But uh, that happens. But you'll find Americans will see a Dominican teammate or whatever will die in an auto accident every year and people you'll just and a lot of times because doctors they don't have first aid so if you get hit and you're on the side of the road you're on the side of the road so somebody comes by and sees you um yeah, which was pretty tough i mean i can't think of the guy's name american he played in the atlanta organization i think a little bit in the big leagues who was laying on the side of the road for three days before he died no one found him yeah no, it's a, it goes back to what you said about the no rules down there with the driving. It's a, I've got another note on my paper here, and you're going to have to help me figure out what I wrote. I've got Will George, Appalachian League, first start, oh. Paul Croft. Yeah, that was uh, Will George, his first start in the Appalachian League. He was thrown, his first start, he was thrown a no-hitter. And after five innings, he had a no-no. Perfect game. In the sixth inning, a guy named Paul Croft, who was Minnesota's number one prospect that year, hit a line drive right off the button on the top of Will's hat. 
I mean, it's, he just, with his follow through, he, he had a good follow through and he threw the ball well. He went, car, carried his arm through right and his head was down. Corrupt <laughs> hit him right in the head, right on the button of the head. Uh, left, a, left a little mark on the top of his head. And that was obviously the last pitch he threw that game because they had to take him to the hospital. But Will will laugh about it now. But uh, it was probably not very funny at the time. No, but that was his very first professional start? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a way to break in right there. But, yeah, I, I don't know if we've got Will to tell that story. He may have mentioned it way back when, but we'll have to get him to to talk about that. But that's a outside of getting hit, obviously, that's a great way to break in with a, a perfect game through five yeah. in the Appalachian yeah, League. He got broke in with a break in on his head with a line drive. Yeah. He, uh, as far as the game goes now, you're watching a lot of baseball, you know, as we kind of, as we kind of wind down here, what, what are some, what are some other things you're seeing that you like that bother you that you kind of want to leave parting shots on our audience here to lead us into our next opportunity with you? Teams are running a little bit more finally after not running at all. A few guys are showing that bunts actually work guys laying down bunts for hits those are those are positive things. Negative things are mostly pitching wise. The sequencing is I I I cringe when I hear that term sequence. I heard Scherzer talk about it last night. Uh, where you throw a fastball, fastball. Well, I'm told that this is the, this is the pitch that should be behind the two fastballs. I think I'll throw this slider or this curveball. What's whack gets gets hit. That. To me, if you've got a pitch that's working, use it. Use it. That's uh, Dusty Baker's a longtime friend. And when, he, when Houston played the Phillies last year in the World Series, the Phillies did not handle high fastballs very well during that series, especially good velocity high fastballs. It's like today. They don't handle high fastballs right now in the, in the funk that they're in right now. Nobody hits the high fastball. Use it. If it works, why change? Why throw something else if you're throwing a fastball right by somebody? Do it. I see so many pitchers that don't do that. The other thing that bothers me is from the hitter side is I've seen so many fastballs right down the middle that hitters don't swing at. They take it because they're guessing. There are more guess hitters in baseball today than there have ever been. Now, hitters always used to guess, but they would guess location, not pitch. They would guess inner half, outer half, but they wouldn't guess most hitters want to sit on a fastball. I don't know how you yeah, would sit on a fastball and take a 2-0 fastball right down the middle. I don't understand how that works. I can't honestly say that I ever stepped to the plate and I sat anything other than fastball. I felt I could adjust uh, right. easier. slower. It's slower. You yeah. can make an adjustment. And it's, I, I, I listen to guys say they're looking for sliders, curveballs, and maybe it was me. Maybe I just wasn't good enough to, to do that, but I always sat fastball, looked fastball. So when fastball came, if I didn't handle it, I mean, that's that's on me. I don't belong there. That's but, exactly uh, right. So like, I couldn't handle looking for a curveball, and then some, some, I would have been frozen if someone threw a fastball uh, in that regard. So, and I, at yeah, I partially blame that because you can't you can't knock a guy down anymore, and hitters will dive all the time, and they'll look. They'll they've been taught that they can look to zones for certain pitches. I mean, it's 
I don't know. No, you're right. You're right on the money. It's uh, guys are way too comfortable up there. And I, my son's a catcher and he sees it at the youth level. They can get away with a little bit more there sometimes because the kids are deemed not to have control. So if you're moving a guy off the plate, it's, it's, it's excused. But the thing that bothers him the most that I have him watch is feet. Kids, yeah, kids are pros. They don't move around the box anymore. That was my, my adjustments. I'd move up. I move back. I move in. I move out. I choke up. I choke down. Those are my six adjustments. At the uh, check with Will next time you talk to Will about one of his old teammates, Cal Ripken. Ask him how many stances Cal Ripken had, how many stances he would have in the middle of in the bat. He changes. He moved his feet constantly. And that's something, as an advanced guy, that's the first thing I wrote down on a hitter was his stance and where his stride went. Did his stride open up? Did he bail? Did he dive? Now hitters all dive. Well, the reason they all dive is because they're they're not afraid of getting hit by the ball because they're not going to call it. Nobody's going to drill them. Well, it wouldn't really matter because they're all wearing body armor anyway. But uh, that's one of my commissioner for a day rules. I take away all body armor. Yeah, all of it. I agree. There's uh even at the young ages, you see these kids walk up there. They've got elbow guards, upper oh, arm guards. They've got uh, sh- the shin guard. And then yep. um, when they get up for space, they take out that big, even though they don't work on base running, they take out that big sliding glove that uh, yeah, I'm not sure what. Yeah. I, uh, I laugh at that. They've got all the gear, but no game right, right. now. Exactly. 400 bucks a year. But uh, with, um, you know, with the with the batting, with the, you know, you mentioned advanced scouting, looking at the feet. Uh, just as I, I kind of want to get to this, our audience as we as we leave. But what are some other things if you were there watching with a keen eye? And, and I, I wish, I mean, do, do, I don't know, I don't know why a club wouldn't get on the phone and grab you right now to bring in as a special assistant to to uh, give them another set of eyes and ears, at least counterintelligence, uh, especially in the advanced yeah, scouting. I've tried, I've tried with some people that I know, but. Uh... Some of the managers I've talked to, and I know a lot of the managers, well, the older guys anyway, I know those guys, uh, they say the office won't let them because they have all their all their geeks. Yeah. Well, their- so a role here, where, would, if you had a chance to sit down and let's say do counterintelligence, let's say the Yankees hired you to scout the Yankees. You had to do players, uh, you had to take a look at take a look at their organization and scout them, not just for player development, but for obviously trades, but you want to develop guys. Where would you start? Where would you start? I would want to get, if I was looking at the Yankees and I want to get, I'd like to get some guys that actually can stay on the field. They have a problem. You you mentioned Bader, you mentioned Stanton. I'd like to have some guys that can actually play more than a hundred games a year. Uh, And I'd look for the most athletic things that I could find in terms of, defensively with the Yankees. The decision they made on Volpe, for example, this spring was a very un-Yankee thing to do. They actually oh, that went with an athlete. Great, great episode energy. with Bob here. Oh, I think goodness. we lost Bob a little Let bit. We'll happen. close out. We'll get him, we'll get him uh, another time. Like to, but to our audience, want to thank you guys. Like episode 196 here. Real Voices of the Game Network. This Yankee was Stadium a is like playing spotlight episode. We've done right a few field. of those so far. They've gone really well with our uh, audience. There are so, uh, this was fact, Bob Johnson here today. 41 years in professional baseball gave us a ton of information. 
those short talk started out with Harrison the, Bader the and the injury. And so tight, the the real thing I want our to take away is well, that there's 40, no supplement for baseball nerds, and I think Bob hit on that well. We'll have him back I on our show with Willie Kevin and I with our Coaching Kernan podcast as part of the Real Voice of the Game Network. I want to thank 18,400 subscribers now. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, you can hit us up on so any of the streaming devices, but we're, we're prevalent on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you got another one, we'll certainly subscribe to it. I've got 400-plus questions to get back name, to you today. I will promise you I'll get back to everybody, and I will get really that one online as soon as player. I'm done producing this show. To be to put and the time and the just as we promised, and, and Bob certainly and delivered with it, prepare for the uncomfortable truths that are being told about baseball. Our shows have no time for the comfortable lies, and with that, Real was, Voices of the Game, uh, episode the 196, that, spotlight episode with Bob Johnson, 41-year like veteran, Major League Baseball. It's one thing that you look at in your preparation for your game. Analytics is the same thing. When I was at Oakland, I worked for the, the, really the father of analytic discussion, Rick Peterson, as a pitching coach. He, he would take hours.